so privileged and honored this morning to introduce the one who'll be preaching today. We're still in the Gospel of Matthew, but a few months ago, I went to visit a friend who was preaching, I thought was preaching in Oakland. We have a burden for Oakland. We have a burden for this whole East Bay. And I know there's a great church in Oakland, so I went there to visit my friend. And my friend wasn't preaching, but his senior pastor was preaching and uh, had a joyful time in that service. Uh, just the Spirit of God was thick and beautiful and glorious. After the service, Pastor Frank Darby, we talked together, and, and he asked me to come back and speak at his church. And I said, well, I'd love to um, on one condition, that you come and speak at my church. Um, and these are not our churches, by the way. It's the Lord's church. But it's just kind of pastor talk, you know. And uh, so he said he would. So I went and preached there in uh, March and had a glorious time. So welcoming, beautiful congregation. Bethel Missionary Baptist Church is at 69th and International. It's right in the heart of some of the toughest places in Oakland. And Frank Darby and his staff uh, are relentless in bringing the gospel to that community. And I wanted you to meet him, and I wanted you to hear his preaching this morning. And I'm so excited to have him here, and I know you are too. Let's welcome Pastor Frank Darby. Good morning. What a blessing to be here today to, with each of you. I'm just grateful for this opportunity to come and share the good news of Jesus Christ with each of you. I'm thankful to Pastor Vogue, Pastor Larry, for uh, stopping by at Bethel over, I think it was in February when he first stopped by, and I had him speak at our church's 63rd anniversary in March. And what a blessing it was to have Pastor Larry and um, one of the things, I, I've past few Sundays, I've been coming up here. Um, this is actually my third Sunday in a row. I've been at Three Crosses, and so when Pastor was talking about the offering, if you're a guest, you don't have to put anything in the offering. I wasn't sure whether I should give or not, <laughs> but I gave anyway, because <laughs> it's just a blessing. Every time we come in the house of the Lord, it ought to be something that we feel comfortable in any house where the Lord is present. And I truly felt comfortable every time I've come. I was able to meet Pam and Pamela and, and Jim out front, greeters, each Sunday. And I made it a point today when I was coming in to stop by as Pam was running to her post so that I can just say hello again to her. And, and so it's just a blessing, just a blessing, awesome blessing. And, but one of the reasons why I was coming, too, is I wanted to, to check Larry out. You know, normally on Sundays when uh, at Bethel, um, I'm dressed with a suit and tie all suited up, and, and I wanted to see how Larry dressed when he <laughs> comes to church. Last week, he was complimenting a yonder, yonder, another young man about how he was dressed, and I was checking him out. And so to my surprise today, we both came today in blue. I said, look at that. We didn't even talk about it. We didn't plan for it. But here we are today looking, uh, looking like Larry. Amen. <laughs> but hey, why not? We have the same father, so <laughs> have the same father. Praise God. But again, it's just a blessing to be with each of you today. A beautiful text that we have coming from Matthew chapter 16. I don't want to prolong the time because I want us to really get into the meat of the Word of God today. Matthew, the 16th chapter verses 13 through verses 20, Matthew 16, verses 13 through 20. A couple of weeks ago, uh, Danny was 
up and he was talking about uh, Jesus when it comes to how uh, he was challenged to show a sign and how the fact that oftentimes humanity, man, is looking for, for God to show them something before they believe. Rather than have faith in God, we oftentimes we're looking for signs and symbols and, you know, God show me something, but God shouldn't have to show us anything. We ought to have faith in him enough to know that when God says it will happen. Then we saw Pastor Vold on last Sunday talked about uh, the fact that we have to be careful of the doctrine, uh, uh, false doctrine that's all around us. Uh, there's many different things that people are saying about Christ has really nothing to do with Christ, but it has something to do with the, the fallen, uh, though basically come from the devil, from Satan, and we have to be mindful of how he uses individuals to proclaim a message that is other than the gospel. And so today we're going to look at a little bit more about Jesus when he's having this individual time with his disciples. But in the 13th chapter, excuse me, 16th chapter, verses 13, it says, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do men, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah. And still others, Jeremiah, are one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he warned his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. Our topic today is I will build my church. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, we come Lord, I'm grateful, thankful for this another opportunity to stand before this, your people, to proclaim your word. We're praying, Lord, that you would uh, guide each of us right now as we have many different things and wondering thoughts and minds and the outside thoughts of this cares that can distract us from hearing your word. We're praying, Lord, that you would bring in our thoughts and our minds that we'll be focused and in tune to thee. We pray, Lord, that you would touch the hearts of maybe that sinner man, woman, boy, or girl today, that they would hear your word, receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of their lives. We are praying for those who maybe are saved, but maybe have not given you total control, that they would surrender through your word their all to thee. And Lord, for those who continue to walk and live a life that is pleasing to you, help them to be bolder in their walk and relationship with you. And Father, help me now as I stand, that I become invisible. As I speak, my voice becomes silent so that in everything you would be seen, you would be heard, and you would be glorified. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. This passage represents a climax, a climax in the life and ministry of Jesus' teaching. For some two and a half years, he had been traveling with his disciples. He has taught them. He has walked with them. They have had opportunities to witness him, 
to see the various miracles and wonders that he has done. And now we find that Jesus is having an individual, a private time, a private session with his disciples because this time marks a transition in his ministry. From this point on, we're going to find that Jesus is is focusing on the cross. He's focusing on Calvary. And so all the preparation for the past two and a half years and getting his disciples in line and focused with the ministry that he's had has now come to an end, and he's focusing them on the cross. And one of the things we find that during this time, Jesus had been experiencing great hostility from the religious leaders. The multitudes have been flocking around him. But one of the the unique things that Jesus does is he takes them away into a private part, a time for him and his disciples to sit amongst each other. And one of the things we find, saints, is that sometimes it's good for you to get along with Jesus, away from everyone else, away from the noise and the hustle and bustles of life, and people are trying to pull at you one way or the other, to get get set aside some time, devotional time, with just you and the Lord. Several things I want to address in this message this morning, uh, one of which is to talk about the, the godless environment with Jesus. Not only that, the questions from Jesus. In addition to the questions from Jesus, we're going to talk about the truth about Jesus, the church built by Jesus, and the authority of Jesus. First of all, we talked about the godless environment with Jesus. Our text tells us in verse 13 that Jesus took his disciples into an area known as Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea Philippi. This was not, Caesarea Philippi was not an area where there was a lot of worship, there was any worship and praising of God at all. Matter of fact, it was an ungodly place. It was a place that was full of idolatry and, and numerous immorality. And yet Jesus took his disciples to a place a part where all of this sin and evil and wickedness abounded. And one of the things you would wonder, well, why of all places would Jesus take his disciples into such a place? A place where they weren't worshiping God, they weren't they honoring God, they weren't trying to serve God. Matter of fact, there was idols and other forms of worship other than of God himself. Why would Jesus take his disciples into a place just like that. Well, several things, two couple of things I want to say that I believe that Jesus took his disciples there, one of which was to open their eyes to the harvest that was available, to open their eyes to the the, the harvest that was all around them. Oftentimes, we can become blind to those around us. We can become blind to those who are suffering, to those who are lost, lost, to those who are trying to find a way, to those who are hopeless. And oftentimes in our walk with the Lord, because we're walking with Jesus, we sometimes can be so focused on him that we fail to see those around us. I remember in Matthew chapter 9, Jesus was talking to disciples, and he told them that the harvest is plentiful, but he said the laborers are few. But one of the things he said, pray ye the Lord of the harvest that he has sent forth laborers into the harvest. He didn't say pray for the harvest. 
It said the problem wasn't that there wasn't a lot of harvest, but there wasn't enough laborers. There wasn't enough people paying attention to those who were lost around them. Not even at that time were the disciples paying attention. And so he brings them to this region because there are times, saints, that we need to pay attention to those around us. Whether we're coming to church or going to work or going to school, whether we're shopping in a grocery store, are we paying attention to the lost folk around us? I remember uh, several years, a number of years ago, I was approximately 24 years ago. I won't tell you how many years that was, but I remember I was on my way. I'd just gotten a new job in the, in the state of California as a, in the government, and I was on my way to the BART station in San Francisco. I lived downtown Oakland, and for some reason I was running late. I was, so I began to kind of have a little jog, and I didn't have to drive to the bar station. I lived right around Lake Merritt, so I was just kind of jogging to get there. And while I was jogging about a block away, I saw a man crossing the street pushing a buggy. And in my mind, immediately, I said, I'm not going to stop. I don't have time. I'm going to run past him. But the Lord, I can tell, was saying, you've got to deal with that. But I'm saying, I don't have time. I'm in a hurry. I have to get to work. I don't want to be late. I'm trying to keep a good impression. I hadn't been there long. And as I began to jog, right when I got by, by the side of him, this man said, can you help me get something to eat? And saints, I tell you not, I stopped. And I paused, and I just looked at him. And he was looking at me, and I'm looking at him. <laughs> and then I, then I asked him, I said, what do you want? He said, anything. And I just walked, ran past a restaurant. So I went in, took him. I said, let's go into this restaurant. He stood outside the door, and I turned back and said, what are you doing? He said, look at me. I'm not, not dressed. I'm, I'm dirty. And I said, no, you come on in. Came to him. He came to the counter, got him something to eat, paid for it, and I took off running. When I got to the corner... The Lord said, you didn't do anything. Now, that man is thinking you've done something for him. You go back, and, you know, you don't know how it feels to you when the Lord whips you. <laughs> you know, I, t I put my head down. I was walking back. And as I walked back into the restaurant, the man was turning with his tray, and I, and, and I stood right there, and I said, listen, sir, I want to tell you something. I didn't do this for you. The Lord did this for you. My plan, when I saw you, I was going to run past you. But I said, the Lord told me to stop and help you out. And I don't know what the Lord has for you. I don't know what his plan is for you. But I want you to know that the Lord loves you enough to stop me from what I was doing to help you out. And then he said to me, he said, you know, I used to be a preacher. And I said, you know, I, I don't know what you used to be. And I said, really, for God, it doesn't matter. But what matters now is you give your life right to him right now. And I say, so whatever God has for you to do in, in surrendering your life to him, you, you ought, since you used to be a preacher, you ought to know who Jesus Christ is. And I said, give, surrender your life to him. And so with that, you know, I felt like, okay, my burden was over. I was able to run, get to Bart. And saints, I can't explain it, but I got to work ahead of time. <laughs> now, I was wondering, really. I was wondering, Lord, did you stop time? And I didn't notice. Did you do what you did for Joseph, <laughs> Joshua, rather, and, and stop time? But what I'm saying is the Lord taught me a valuable lesson 
in that moment. Don't be blind to those who are suffering and hurting around you. That was the most valuable lesson I can ever learn in that moment. And so even as I go through my daily walk of life, I don't ignore people that are hurting or suffering. Even if they come to me with a handout, it doesn't mean I'm going to do something and help them. I'm allowing the Lord to guide and direct me on whether I should or shouldn't. But I don't turn a blind eye. And so God, Jesus didn't want his disciples to turn a blind eye to those who are suffering, to those who are hurting. Another thing that means that we need to have a burden for those who are lost, those who are hurting, those who are blind. You know, the spirit, we ought to have a spirit of compassion that says to people, I care. A spirit of compassion. You know, there was a, in the Reader's Digest a number of years back, there was an article written about a bold pastor. He came into the pulpit, and he said, he said to his congregation, you know, there's three points I want to make to you today. He said the first point is that there are millions of people in the world who are, who are unsaved and are going to hell. And then the second point, I'm a modified portion of the second point. You'll know when I made the modification. He says most of us sitting here today don't give a hoot about those who are going to hell. Then after a long pause, pause, he said, the third point is, most of you are more concerned that I said the word hoot as your pastor than all of those going to hell. And what is the point there? We have to have compassion for others. You know, one of the problems with many of us is not that we don't have passion. We do feel for hurting people. The problem is we don't have compassion. Compassion means I don't not only feel for hurting people, but I'm moved to do something to help hurting people. God wants us to have compassion for others. And then we find the text goes on, and there's a question that Jesus asked his disciples. The first question was, uh, basically, what are people saying about me? What are, what, tell me, what is the, 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 the multitude of people, not the Pharisees, he already knew what they were thinking, but what does everyone else say about me? What are, what are the thoughts coming out? And one of the things it's saying it's important sometimes to know, to ask people, what do you think about Jesus? Because what they answer can help you minister them to them about Jesus. The answer they give can help you to minister to them about Jesus. So he asked this question, and, and many answers were, were drawn out about who Jesus Christ was. He was a prophet. He's Jeremiah, he's Elijah, uh, he's he just, you know, he's, he's John the Baptist. Now, many different opinions, but they had one thing in common. They all equated Jesus as somebody who was once dead, but now alive. They only connected Jesus with someone who was dead. They were focusing on a type of uh, reincarnation as if reincarnation existed. They never connected him with who he really was. Regardless of all the miracles, regardless of all the works that he had done, they never saw Jesus for who he really was. They only saw him as this good man, this man who was once dead and come back to life. What do you think about Jesus? What are people saying to you about Jesus? You know, oftentimes we can have a good 
good thoughts about Jesus, but just because we have good thoughts about Jesus doesn't mean it's the right thoughts. We can have a good opinion, a high opinion of Jesus, but it doesn't mean that that opinion of Jesus is high enough. These individuals, they were limited by what they thought of Jesus. They never saw him above and beyond what they felt him to be. And one of the reasons for that in Isaiah 53 tells us that Jesus had no form or comeliness that anyone would desire him. He didn't look like a leader. He didn't have that nice glow about his face. I know in the photographs we see there's a big halo around Jesus. He didn't have that. I know it may look like in some of the photos that he was, was, you know, tall and, and dark and handsome. He wasn't that. He wasn't a nice, in fact, if he had nothing in his appearance, nothing in his looks that would make anybody want to be around him, want to follow him, want to look at him and say, hey, here's a leader who's going to deliver us. He didn't have that about him. So when you think about Jesus, what do you think about? What do you feel about Jesus? It's possible, saints, for us to have information about Jesus but not really have the truth about Jesus. Just because you have the facts don't mean you have the truth. Good example of that when we look in Matthew chapter 1. Joseph had gathered some facts about Mary, and his facts was that Mary was pregnant. It wasn't his baby, although they were married. And so she obviously, in his mind, had been unfaithful to him. Those were the facts, but they were not the truth. And it wasn't until God revealed to him the truth that Joseph was able to move forward with what God had planned for him. I wonder how many of us are sitting still, operating on facts, but we don't have the truth. These folks had some good facts. Jesus, yeah, he he was a prophet, but he was more than that. He had done some wonderful things, but he was a miracle worker, but he was more than that. Yes, Jesus is, because of Jesus, there is now Christianity, but Jesus is more than that. But they failed to recognize that. But Jesus then asked his disciples another question, a personal perspective, not a public perspective, but now he became personal. He says, now what do you think about me? And if someone were to ask you today, what you think about Jesus Christ, what would you tell them? Would you tell them that he was a great prophet, great man of God? Would you tell them that he'd done wonderful miracles? Or would you really identify him for who he is, God, very God? A few months ago, I was on street ministry and talking with folks on the corner, and this one gentleman um, was telling him about Jesus Christ and he was convinced that it was impossible to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And, and I said, I asked him why, because he was just, he's not alive. He just was a prophet. He's now dead. I said, well, we were standing next to a light pole. I said, now, I cannot have a relationship with this light pole, but I can have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because unlike any other, he's still alive. While others have died, we know where their gravesite are. We know where they've been buried. We have no gravesite for Jesus because even the tomb he was in was only borrowed. And then when he was done with it, he gave it back. 
How many grave sites do we know where folk have gave, had borrowed it, used it, and then gave it back? <laughs> Good example of this is the fact that, you know, I know a lot about our president, Barack Obama. I know that his wife is named Michelle. He has two daughters, Malaya and Sasha. I even know he has a dog named Bo, and that that dog was given to him by then Senator uh, Ted Kennedy and his wife Vicki in 2009 around Easter time. But with all that I know about President Barack Obama, I don't know him. I don't know him. I've never talked with him on the phone. We have never shook hands, never met. Matter of fact, if you were to meet President Barack Obama and, and talk to him about Pastor Frank Darby, he would say, who? <laughs> he wouldn't know me. I don't know him. I can't call him on the phone. We don't tweet. We don't Instagram each other. I can't call him and say, hey, Barack, what's up? Can't do it because he don't know me and I don't know him. And the point of that is likewise, we can know a lot about Jesus by reading the Bible. We can learn a lot about Jesus by going to the internet. We can learn a lot about Jesus by coming to church. We can learn a lot about Jesus by talking with other people, but knowing a lot about Jesus don't mean you know him. Jesus is asking his disciples, what do you say? Who do you say I am? I don't want to hear what others have to say. I want to know who do you see me and know me to be? This is a personal question. Then we get to the truth about Jesus. The truth about Jesus. Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Here's a confession of the Christian faith. Every one of us in here, every sinner outside has to answer that question one day or another, who is Jesus? Whether you want to or not, you're going to have to answer that question, and you are going to get the answer. Who is Jesus? And Peter answering on behalf of himself and the other disciples said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. While other people saw Jesus as just a man, the disciples saw him as more than a man. He was more than a man. He, they saw Jesus as one of many other prophets. But the disciples saw Jesus as the one and only. They saw him as uh, any, uh, the name that's above every name. They saw him as that great shepherd. They saw him as the light of the world. They saw, saw Jesus as that bright and morning star. They saw Jesus as that, as that bread of life. They saw Jesus as the living water. They saw Jesus as the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. They saw Jesus as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. They saw Jesus as the Lamb of the tribe of Judah. They saw that Jesus was the one and only Lord and Savior. They saw the truth about Jesus. And notice one of the things that Jesus said. He said, blessed art thou, Simon, son of Jonah. Let me tell you something. Those of us who are saved today, we are blessed. We are blessed to have the truth in knowing who Jesus Christ is. Because that truth, Jesus goes on to say, don't, don't originate with us. We're not the authors of truth. 
We're just, the truth just passed through us, but it comes from above. And the fact that God would be so loving, so kind, so gracious as allow the truth, his truth, to come to us and to come through us, that's a privilege. That's a blessing. The fact that God would allow his truth to bring us into salvation. See, it's not because we were living so holy and so righteous and so gracious where God allowed his truth to come to us. He allowed his truth to come to us because he loved us. While we were yet sinners, the Bible says Christ died for us. The truth does not originate with you and I. The source of the truth is in God himself. And so if you want to get the truth, saints, one of the things we've got to learn to do is to get into the word of God. Because the word of God is truth. One of the things that that amazes me about us as Christians sometimes is that we will spend a lot of time talking about the Bible and the truth, but we, how often do we actually get into the Word of God? How often do we spend time reading, studying, and meditating on God's Word? We'll spend uh, an hour or so eating three meals a day, but we won't even spend an hour in the Word of God. We'll spend more time making sure our flesh is fed, but little time making sure so that our spirit, our soul, is fed. And then to move on, I got to move on, but it talks about the church built by Jesus. Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church. Upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. What were you saying, Jesus? He's, when we talk about church, a church, when we talk, it comes from the word ecclesia. ecclesia. It means called out ones. And the church, it consists of assembly of people called out from the world to become part of God's family. That's who the church is. But the church was not built on Peter. The church was built on Jesus Christ. Jesus was not saying, Peter, I'm going to build the church on someone who's unstable. But he says, I'm building the church on myself. I'm building the church on the confession of what you said, the truth of what you said that I am the Messiah, that I am God. I'm building the church on that firm foundation on who I am. And I want you to know something, um, Peter, that the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. In other words, the church is unstoppable. And I don't know why it is, Pastor Larry, that we are so afraid uh, of of, of expanding the church, of sharing the good news of Jesus Christ as if Satan can do something to stop it. He can't. He's already been defeated at the cross. There is nothing the devil can do to stop the church from growing. And I want you to notice something in that text. It doesn't say that the gates are around the church. It says the gates of hell. See, the church is on offense. The hell is on defense trying to keep everybody in his community locked in and keep them from being saved. But God is saying, they can't stop us. I don't care how big their gates, they got to reposition their gates every time the church expands. Why is it Christianity continues to grow in spite of all the challenges we face? Because the church cannot be stopped because it's built on Jesus Christ. They couldn't stop Jesus, and they can't stop what Jesus has built. And when we are standing and doing kingdom work, building with God on God's kingdom, doing what God is telling us to do, we can't be stopped. 
So saints, we have no reason to be afraid. We don't have any reasons to fear expanding the kingdom. One of the things we got to keep in mind that we fail oftentimes to do is to do our part in expanding the kingdom of God. We won't talk to people. We won't talk to strangers. We won't tell others about the good news of Jesus Christ. Why? Because we allow fear to impact our lives, to hinder us. When we ought not to be afraid, but we ought to be standing bold on the word of God. We ought to be, in other words, I know in, in society and in life, we teach our children not to talk to strangers. And that's understandable because we want our children to be safe. We want them to be careful. But the problem is we have expanded that into adulthood. And now we become adults and we don't talk to strangers. We are afraid, but don't you know, the Bible, the gospel does not tell us not to talk to strangers because how will strangers come to know Jesus if we don't talk to them? How will they have an opportunity to hear the gospel if we don't talk to strangers? One of the things that I started doing, Pastor Larry, uh, about a year ago, you know, oftentimes when we go to the airport or we set in apartments or uh, airline flights, we set flights so that we can get in uh, and sit on the window seat or the aisle seat. Nobody wants to sit in the middle. No one wants to sit in the middle. The Lord put on my heart, get you a seat in the middle. Meet the people on either side of you and start talking about Jesus. And you'd be surprised, saints, how open people will become when you start sharing Jesus Christ with them. They're willing. And one of the things I found about sitting in the middle seat, it's the best seat on the plane. It has more leg room at your feet than the window seat because you got the bulkhead on one end. On the, the aisle seat, you have the little rail to keep you from putting your feet in the aisle. And so the middle seat is the best seat, and, and I've had more leg room. But the Lord has blessed me to be able to talk to many people on the airplane. One time it was a, a mother and a daughter I couldn't speak Spanish, and they would speak, they were Spanish speaking, and I can hear them talking, but they were crying. And I'm sitting next to them, and I, I, I want to say something, don't know what to say. I'm waiting for God to give me the gift of tongues so I can, you know, so I can speak Spanish, so I can, you know, I can try to help them out. I didn't know what to say, but what I did do, I, the Lord said, well, uh, gave me a scripture, he gave me Isaiah, and I noticed that the, one, the younger girl, she was about 12 or 13 years old, she can speak a little English. I handed her my Bible, pointed her to Isaiah 26, 3 and 4, that, and, and let her see what scripture says about God having trust and faith in him. And I said, that's all I can do, but that's all I could do. Because God didn't give me that gift in that moment. And they started smiling, they stopped crying, and I said, Lord, thank you. What would happen if every one of us in here would start meeting strangers? When you go to the store, and that person who's gathering your, your, your items and checking them out, if you go to the point of meet, getting to know their name, their name is on their badge, and call and say thank you, and, tell, and call their name out. We need to learn as, as Christians, God has built a church, and he says the gates of hell shall not prevail. And he says, I give you authority. Whatever you bound on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loose in heaven. In other words, I've given you keys that have access to heaven. What you do down here on earth ought to be based on what the keys allow you to have access to. 
if the key don't open it, you don't go in. But if the key open it, your responsibility, I've given you authority to represent me down here on earth. We as Christians are representatives of God right here on earth. We have a responsibility to share, to spread the good news of Jesus Christ with those that we meet. We cannot get away with just sitting back and allow others to share the gospel of Jesus Christ when each and every day we come in contact with people throughout the day that we can share the gospel of Jesus Christ with. And I want to say to you, if you are surrounded and locked behind hell's gates, Jesus can set you free. He can move or remove any spiritual blindness that the devil, that the adversary has placed before you. He can, he can remove that blindfold and allow you to see his truth. But you must be willing to place your trust in the rock, Christ Jesus. Jesus Christ is God, very God. He died for you. He bears for you, and he rose again from the dead for you. But you have to make that choice. He can, he can remove those shackles, shackles of sin that keeps you bound and truly set you free. But you have to place your faith and your trust in him. You have to allow Jesus to build you into his body. But that decision is not mine to make. That decision is not anyone else's to make. Each and every one of you have to make that decision for yourself. Will you accept Jesus for who he is, that he is the Christ, the son of the living God? He is God, very God. He died, buried, and thank God he rose again from the dead. And you can have victory in him and him alone. By yourself, can't have victory. You can only do so much. You can only go so far. But in Christ, you have total victory. Because he has already defeated the enemy you're trying to fight. And you no longer have to fight the enemy when you place your faith in Christ. Because he has already given you the victory. It doesn't mean you won't have battles. But it means you will always have victory. And that victory resides in Jesus Christ. 